Welcome back to another Yak Podcast. This week we start our series on the book of Jonah, and we uh, march through Jonah 1. I hope you enjoy as we dive into this book the next month. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. People run away for a lot of reasons. Um, I read stories about teenagers running away from home this week because they were scared of going home to an abuser. I've, run, I've heard stories this week about a young man um, running away out of their countries uh, during the Vietnam War for fear of, being, fear of being drafted or to stand for peace. I read a story of a young woman who ran away from home because she felt guilty, believe it or not, from stealing money from her mother to buy lunches at the mall while she skipped school. So instead of facing the consequences of her action, once her mother started getting phone calls from the bank, uh, she hopped in the car with a friend and ran three states away. Um, Other people have been on the run because an invading army has been on the doorstep to their city. And it's no longer safe because that army wants to kill them. So they too run away. People flee or run away for lots and lots of reasons. Maybe you too, at some point or another, have fantasized about running away. Jonah, the guy in the story we're about to read, he wants to run off. I wouldn't say he wants to run a way. He doesn't want to run a way. He wants to run his way. He knows the direction he wants to go. Not just any old way. Not just choosing a way from the map. He wants his way. And his way is the farthest place on earth he can think of. He wants out. That's what we see in chapter 1 here. His attempts to run away from an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God, a God who can do anything, including create a, big, uh, create a big enough fish to swallow him for a couple of days, and create a plant to shade Jonah in chapter 4, and calm a storm after he was thrown overboard. I know non-Christians want to attack the big fish in Jonah all the time, but let's seriously consider this. If you grant... That God made the world out of nothing, and that he can calm the seas, and that he can grow a plant for shade in a day, talk about a Texas weed, then we should be able to grant that God can make a fish able to swallow a man for three days. You grant everything else, the fish really isn't that big of a step. Okay? So before you go bashing Hotel Tuna, let's understand that if you grant the whole God of the universe thing, then you can grant Jonah staying a couple nights at Club Med Mediterranean. (laughs) But back to the whole runaway, because that's what I want to focus on today. Let's dive in, pun intended, and see how the beginning of the whole story of Jonah unfolds. So turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. 
Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps that God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots. We may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell to Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows. And at the very end... And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray real quick. Father God, as we dive into the storm of this text, may it become clear um, what it looks like when we try to run away from you. When we try to run away from the calling that you've given us in life. And when we run away from the small callings that you give us in this life. Lord, may you call us to live as Christ. Lord, may you call us to live as ambassadors. And may Jonah paint a beautiful picture of that for us as we begin this series. In Christ's name, amen. So what's the big deal with Nineveh? Why does Jonah freak out when God tells him to head that way? Let me give you some details about Nineveh. Nineveh is a huge city. It sits on the Tigris River in modern-day Iraq. The population at that point in history was over 100,000, which is a lot of people in B.C. time period. That's a huge amount of people. But Jonah despised Nineveh not because he hated big cities. He despised its people. Assyrians were cruel. They never kept their prisoners of war alive. They would cut out their, their victims' tongues, skin them alive, build pyramids of human skulls outside the cities. These people were evil. And that's just warfare. Not even getting into like daily living practices. They were evil. And evil people would and should be punished by God. Jonah knew this. And Jonah loved the justice of God. People everywhere love justice. If someone hurts someone in your family, you desire that that offender would suffer something similar. Because in our minds, that's fair, right? That's fair. 
This idea, this idea sits at the base of our moralistic core. Even children, if someone hits them, hit them back. Because it's fair. You've heard this a thousand times from the lips of children. He hit me first. Everyone on the planet is pro-justice. Religious, irreligious, old, young, law enforcement officer, and gang member. If someone commits murder, we believe they should be punished. What type of punishment we might differ on, but everyone agrees there should be justice. Someone steals, we agree that there should be a punishment. Someone lies, even if it isn't against the law, we naturally treat that person different in the future because that's justice, right? They are a known liar. Even the gang member, if someone were to commit any of those crimes against him, he would feel like justice would need to be paid. Most people go into gangs because they feel like they have been a victim of society and are trying to find justice for the atrocities set up, to, set up against them by the system. Everyone, everywhere, is pro-justice because we are all made in the image of God, who is also pro-justice. We are made in the image of a good God, so we can identify when something is evil, especially when that evil is done to us. Nineveh is evil. Assyrians are evil. Jonah doesn't want to go to them for two reasons. One, he is seriously afraid of what might happen to him. He is seriously afraid of what might happen to him. And two, he is seriously afraid of what might happen to them. He is seriously afraid of what might happen to them. But we're going to discuss those two things in the coming weeks. Tonight we're focusing on Jonah's flight. He runs to the docks. He pays his way to go to the farthest place he can imagine, Tarshish, the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. When you run away, when have you run away from the will of the Lord? When have you decided, no, I'm not going to follow that commandment, Lord. I would rather cheat on this test instead of study. I would rather look at this website instead of the word of God. I would rather worry about something than give it up to the God to handle. I would rather take justice into my own hands than wait on the Lord. When have you run away from the will of the Lord? James Montgomery Boyce says this. When you run away from the Lord, you never get where you're going, and you always pay your own fare. But when you go the Lord's way, you always get where you're going, and he pays the fare. Church, you cannot run away from where God would have you, not if you are in Christ. Psalm 139, 7 and 10 says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Oh, where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Not only do you pay your own fare when you run away from God, but many times you pay the fare of those around you. I want you to hear that. Not only do you pay your own fare when you run away from the will of God, but many times, you pay the fare of those around you.
As we continue our story, we know one thing. Those sailors on the ship that Jonah is on are freaked out. These guys are guys who sail regularly, and this storm is a doozy. To the point where they have thrown their cargo, their paycheck, overboard. Because their fear their ship might take their life. And now they are looking for someone to blame. So they cast lots, and the lots fall to Jonah. So they go and wake him up. You can imagine the scene. A dark room. A light hanging from the ceiling. Swaying back and forth. As it rocks against the waves. It's swaying because, well, it hangs from a rope that is on a wooden crossbeam that sits across the ship. And sitting on the middle of the light is a man on a box in a tunic, soaking wet. Because someone's just dumped a bucket of seawater on him to wake him up. And as the light moves back and forth and back and forth, you catch a glimpse of the captain smoking a cigarette. (laughs) Quickly smoking a cigarette. Remember, this guy's panicked. He's not even getting enough of a drag to fill his lungs. This guy is freaked out. He is terrified. He and his buddies have cast lots, and the lots has fallen on this water-covered man who sits on the soaked box in front of him. His questions don't start specific. They start broad. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. He takes the finished cigarette out and flicks it into the corner with the other two that's uh, littered the floor. That he's used in the last four minutes. And he doesn't wait for an answer. Remember, he's freaked out. What's your occupation? What have you done to take off the gods and send this monster storm? Jonah sits silently. and continues to think through what's happening. He's been dreaming good dreams about Tarshish. A massage on the beach? A cold drink? He hadn't been thinking about Nineveh. The call of God to go to Nineveh suddenly crosses his mind. Did he bring out the storm? He is a prophet. Meanwhile, the captain has dropped his new cigarette and is starting to light it because of the damp seawater. And where are you from? What is is your country? What are your people? His cigarette finally lights, and the light above stops swaying just for a moment, as if the ship might have hit a lull in the waves. Jonah answers, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Captain drops the cigarette out of his mouth. A Hebrew. He knows the Hebrews. He's heard stories. The Phoenicians, the sailing people, had a port city within a day's walk of Jerusalem. He knows their God. And even though he's not considered converting to Judaism, he just might, if this God will calm the waters. As for Jonah, he remembers who he is. He remembers his mission from God and the words he utters to the captain. He is called to be an ambassador of the king, to call people to repentance. That's his job as a prophet, to call the Assyrians to repentance. What a noble task. But he'd be rather be thrown overboard. He didn't instruct them to turn around and sail for Nineveh to complete his mission. He didn't instruct them to try to return to the port city of his departure. He said this. He said, I would rather Die by the waters that bring living water to those people. I would rather die by the waters than bring living waters to those people. Think about it. He clearly is going against the will of the Lord here. 
He wasn't for this Nineveh proposal at the beginning, and even after the storm, and even after the interrogation, even after realizing that he might very well have put these people's lives at risk. It isn't repentance that springs to the lips of Jonah. It's determination to go against the will of the Lord. You, like Jonah, are called to be ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20, you've heard me state this a billion times over the course of your time here with us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are called to preach a message of reconciliation to God, for people to be made right with a holy God, but not just the people you like. You are called to preach to your enemies, to the people you wouldn't be caught dead with. To the people you'd rather drown than interact with. For you extroverts, or extroverts, it's the person who sits alone, or maybe is stretching at a track meet underneath a tree so they can't be seen, or a person who intentionally smells so no one will come near them. For you introverts, it's the guy or girl who won't shut their mouth. I mean, you're thinking, please, God, not them. Surely not them. Not them, a message of reconciliation. I can't get in a word anyways. Let's be real. There's no way. For the prideful, it's the person you scoff at. It's those people you call a bunch of idiots at school. Because, well, maybe they are a bunch of idiots. But you're called to go to them. That person at youth group or choir, it's just a jerk. A little self-righteous. Yep, them. Here's the point of today's message. You write it in your side of the Bible. Here's your one line. Definitely write it in your notes. You are called to go. You're called to go. Just not where your heart wants. It's not where your heart wants. Am I saying that God won't put a desire in your heart to do something? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying you need to get out of your comfort zone. This was not planned. I'm going off the cuff, but I remembered an important story. I'm 18. I'm sitting in a sermon. And, uh, the pastor was being a jerk that day, which means he was getting to the heart of the issue and uh, confronting me. And he said, I, the Lord is not going to stretch you unless you put yourself in a place where you're going to be uncomfortable. So serve in a ministry here at the church for the next three to six months that you know you would be uncomfortable. Crud. So I called up Jake Tassie. He was the guy who had led me to Christ in middle school at the time. I said, Jake, I want to serve with the middle school ministry for the next six months. He went, really? I went, yeah. I'm not happy about it. I told him that up front. He's like, sure. I've been here for a decade now, okay? But it's because I went where the Lord directed me. Not necessarily where my heart wanted to go. And he moved my heart to be excited about the junior high ministry. You see, if your heart is anything like mine, it's really deceitful. It seeks comfort above all else, especially in America, where comfort is God. 
Comfort is the idol of choice. Okay? You don't want to put yourself in an awkward situation intentionally now, would you? You wouldn't want to, the shame attached with that individual's reputation put on you. So let's imagine for a minute the worst person. Okay? This will be fun. You've already had a face pop in your head. Keep that face. Okay? Who would go out of their way for someone who has killed somebody in your family? Who? Who would go out of the way for someone who calls them names and curses you to your face? Who would go out of their way for someone who says they are sorry? You all know these people. You love them. But then the second later, they do the exact same thing they just said you were sorry for. And it's not a once in a while thing. This is like habitually. They're habitual with their lying. Who would go out of their way for someone like that? Who would seek someone's well-being who has lied to others so that the innocent would suffer and the wicked would flourish? Who would want to go out of the way for someone who doesn't deserve it? If anything, they actually deserve justice. We want justice for them. I'll tell you who. That would be King Jesus. Christ is the one who says, yes, they are mine. They don't want to be. They slander my name. They hurt others with their words, their actions, and their inactions. They lie. They cheat. They steal. They lust. All in their name to build up their kingdoms. But I will win them to me. You see, there are two ways to see this story. There are two ways to see the story. One, you have to ask, who are the Ninevites in my world that I would rather run away from or die than to redeem? Who are the Ninevites in my world that I would rather run away from or die than to redeem? And the second way you got to look at the story is this. Who ha- who, and you have to ask, whose Ninevite am I? You are the Ninevite of the all-powerful King Jesus who would rather run to you and die in order to redeem you. This is the story we'll continue to unpack over the next few weeks. The story of a God who brings redemption to those who if he were a God, if we were God, we would never offer it to And that would be just. That would be just for God to do that. But God isn't just a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. And we are called to be a people of mercy as well. Today's message. Thanks for tuning in to another Yak podcast. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.com. Uh, Tune in next week as we continue our series on Jonah.